0: Verses 8 through 19. Proverbs chapter 1, verses 8 through 19. I'll be reading from the King James Version. My son, hear the instruction of thy father, and forsake not the law of thy mother, for they shall be an ornament of grace unto thy head, and chains about thy neck. My son, if sinners entice thee, consent thou not. If they say, come with us, let us lay wait for blood, let us lurk privily for the innocent without cause. Let us swallow them up alive as the grave, And whole as those that go down into the pit. We shall all find, we shall find all precious substance. We shall fill our houses with spoil. Cast in thy lot among us, let us all have one purse. My son, walk not thou in the way with them, refrain thy foot from their path. For their feet run to evil and make haste to shed blood. Surely in vain the net is spread in the sight of any bird, and they lay wait for thy own blood, for their own blood. They lurk privily for their own lives. So are the ways of every one that is greedy of gain, which taketh away the life of the owners thereof.
1: Thank you, Dean, for reading all that. You probably feel like you've preached, haven't you, brother? Please keep your place in Proverbs chapter 1, and, or find that if you're not there already, because that's where we're going to be drawing our main points in our study this morning. You know, every fall, we send our kids back to school, And even if your kids are grown and gone like ours, you still know when that time of the year is upon us because all you have to do is to go to a store, and I mean any store, and witness the frenetic search for back-to-school supplies. And every year, those of us who care about our kids, whether they're parents or teachers or friends, we have certain fears, we have certain prayers, and we have certain aspirations for those children We pray that they'll have good teachers, that our children will discover their strengths, and that they will apply themselves, they will develop their abilities to the very fullest. And then if they're leaving for college, we especially pray that our young people, while they're away from home, will remember all the advice and the teaching and the guidance that they received from us while they were still at home. And very high on that list of cares and prayers, we pray that they will find and make good friends. Because we've lived long enough, and I want to begin this morning with a question, and that is, why is it that parents make such a big deal about whose friends are yours? How do you make friends, and who are they? And the answer to that is because we've lived long enough to recognize, appreciate a fundamental rule of life. And here's that rule. First, we make our friends, and then our friends make us. Let me say that again. First, we make our friends, and then our friends make us. The Bible teaches that our friends are one of the most significant influences in our personal development. Good friends will help us to build strong and stable lives. The wrong kind of friends, however, as Solomon points out in Proverbs 1, can lead us down the road to ruin. The book of Proverbs can well be called life's little instruction book because it's the one part of God's word written especially for young people. I'm sure that you've noticed That as you read through these Proverbs that many of them, even this one that that Dean just read in our hearing, are expressed as a father giving advice to his son. And so that's the way it's to be taken. That's the way it's to be interpreted. And when Solomon thought of all the wisdom that he wanted to share with young people, the very first thing that he would tell them here in Proverbs chapter 1, that the old proverb really is true. One bad apple really can spoil the whole barrel. And that's really what Proverbs 1 is predominantly about, the power of influence, the power that our friends have on us. Now, first of all, there's the importance of that association. If you will, look again at verses 10 and the first part of verse 11. Solomon says, my son, if sinners entice you, do not consent. If they say, come with us, let us lie in wait to shed blood. We hear a lot about gang activity these days. And I don't believe you can read those two verses without thinking about that. How easy it is to get together with the wrong group of people, and immediately there come to mind all sorts of things that you would never have thought of on your own, or at least hopefully. We know some cities are just absolutely pervaded by gang violence, and we read about them in the paper every day. But Solomon is a reminder that that gangs are nothing new. This is an invitation, in fact, he uses the language, to come along for the ride, to be a part of the gang, to be one of the guys, But then he warns, don't hang out with the wrong sort of friends because that's an invitation to disaster. You know, when impressionable young people are a part of a gang, they're emboldened to commit crimes that they would never have done on their own, to be involved in mischief and mayhem and sometimes even murder. And we read about that and sometimes we even recognize names and we think, how in the world could that person be involved in that kind of activity? Well, the problem was they got with the wrong group of friends. Even a good kid can get into bad trouble if he or she is run, running with the wrong crowd. And that's what Solomon wants us to appreciate in this first proverb. Even if he or she doesn't actually commit a crime, he can become accomplice to whatever happened while he's with the wrong crowd simply by being in the wrong place at the wrong time with the gr- wrong group of people. In fact, Proverbs twenty nine twenty four, Solomon says, "...the accomplice of a thief is his own enemy." He is put under oath, and yet dare not testify. You know, many a young person has gone along on a joyride that ended in a prison cell. Now, listen to this old preacher now, if you will. Don't go along for the ride unless you know where it's headed. Some will protest, but that's so unfair. You ought not to judge me by the friends I make. That's guilt by association. Solomon says, I beg to differ. He says, that's guilt by contagion. Now, watch this. Which brings us to the next point on on the power of association. Principle number one is the power of contagion. Look again at the latter part of verse 11 through 14. Let us lurk secretly for the innocent without cause. Let us swallow them alive like Sheol and whole like those who go down to the pit. We shall find all kinds of precious possessions. We shall fill our houses with spoil, Cast in your lot among us, let us all have one purse. This is the ancient equivalent, again, of gang activity. We're going to have excitement, we're going to have thrills, and there's going to be money involved. But Solomon then gives us the warning, don't go along for the ride, because you'll end up being a part of something that is more than you bargained for. Remember this eternal truth, character is contagious. Paul in the New Testament is said in 1 Corinthians 15, 33, one version of that reads like this, be not deceived, bad company corrupts good character. Unwholesome influences can rub off. Both Solomon and Paul were exactly right. Bad habits can be picked up. Negative ways of thinking can be absorbed into the hard drives of our minds. You see, our, we're nothing more than our thoughts turned inside out. We are what we think about, what we allow to be the predominating thoughts in our minds on a daily basis. Notice especially, if you will, verse 14 that we just noticed. Cast in your lot with us, says those who are the wrong associates. Let us all have one purse. Solomon is telling us that the everybody is doing it philosophy is as old as man. And he also then adds, there's going to be money involved. We're all going to share in the bounty. We'll all have one purse. Now look at Proverbs 22, if you don't mind turning a few pages, verses 24 and 25. Proverbs 22, 24 through 25. Here's what Solomon says by inspiration. Do not make friends with a hot-tempered man. Do not associate with one easily angered, or you may learn his ways and get yourself ensnared. What a powerful and a practical warning that is. At the heart of the warning is this premise. You're going to become like the people you hang out with. You will assimilate the attitudes and the actions of those with whom you associate. I think I shared the story not long ago of a man who had a fine canary whose song was especially beautiful, but during the summer he decided it seemed like a shame to keep the bird in the house all the time, and so the owner placed the cage in a nearby tree in the yard so that the bird could be outside and enjoy the sunshine and the fresh air. But then in the course of time, many sparrows began to frequent that tree, and they were attracted by the birdcage with the canary inside. At first, the canary was frightened by his new surroundings, but soon he came to enjoy his new companions. By the end of the summer, his so-called singing was little more than the twitter of the sparrows. He had lost his beautiful song. You see, spending his summer in the wrong environment caused the canary to lose his song. What we're saying is be careful who you associate with. You see, even in the same way, a good kid can pick up bad habits if he or she is keeping the wrong company. That's what Solomon wants us to know. So remember to stay away from the bad apples because character is contagious. Principle number two that Solomon wants us to appreciate is the principle of separation. Look at verses 15 and 16 in our text. My son, do not walk in the way with them. Keep your foot from their path. For their feet run to evil, and they make haste to shed blood. Solomon's advice is blunt, and it's to the point. And he repeats it in chapter 4, verses 14 through 17. Here's what he says there. Do not set your foot on the path of the wicked, or walk in the way of evil men. Avoid it. Do not travel on it. Turn from it and go on your way, for they cannot sleep till they do evil. They are robbers of slumber till they make someone fall. Did you get that? They're not going to sleep until they until they bring somebody down. They eat the bread of wickedness and they drink the wine of violence. Let's elaborate on that for a moment. Because I want this lesson to be as practical as possible. And I don't want anybody w- walking away from this service this morning saying, "I wonder what that meant." Solomon is helping us to understand what life is on the streets. What life is in the day-to-day circumstances. What happens when we, as well-intended people, leave this church building and fall under the influence of the people that we associate with on a daily basis, and especially our young people who are susceptible to those kinds of influences? Here are some guidelines, I think, that are involved in exactly what Solomon is, is communicating here. Let me say this. Number one, if there is alcohol involved, stay away. You see, when people start drinking, they stop thinking. And hanging out with a bunch of intoxicated friends is an invitation to disaster. Now that's doubly true, of course, for a recovering alcoholic. Anyone will tell you that when a problem drinker decides to sober up, one of the first things he has to do is to get a whole new set of friends. Learn to associate with someone else. Because if he hangs around with his old drinking buddies, he's not going to stay sober very long. So be careful, if there's alcohol involved, stay away. Secondly, if there are drugs involved, stay away. Here's a note to parents. If your children are consistently hanging out with kids who are drinking and drugging, then mark it down. No matter how much they may protest, in all likelihood, they are drinking and drugging too. How do I know? Well, because it's not much fun for a sober kid to hang out with with his friends. Who are stoned or high or drunk. When all of your kids are when all of your friends are are doing drugs sooner or later, they'll either get tired of that irresponsibility and choose a new circle of friends, or they'll engage in that activity themselves. Number three, if there's a gun involved, stay away. Obviously, I'm not talking about hunting with your friends here. But I am talking about in the course of common associations, if someone claims we're not going to hurt anybody We're just going to scare them. Don't you believe it? I've seen some good kids who were rotting away in a prison cell and heard them complain, but I didn't know that it would go that far. I never thought that my buddy would actually hurt anybody, but he did. And now they're the ones who are also paying the price. By the way, did you know that if you're in a group of others and a killing, a murder takes place, you are guilty by association according to the letter of the law. You will be charged with murder, even if you were not the one to pull the trigger. Number four, if there's shoplifting involved, stay away. You know, there's a certain group of people who get their thrills from what has become known as the five-finger discount. But it's stealing. It is not a game. It's a crime. Number five, if it's a location with an unsavory reputation, stay away. All you have to do is to read the newspaper and to be aware to know that there are some night spots, there are some honky-tonks, there are some beer joints, there are some dance halls right here in our own city that are nothing but trouble with neon lights. And there's no sense in looking for trouble when trouble easily enough comes our way without looking for it. Stay away from those places. And watch this, and this is an important observation to make at this point. This is as true for those of us who are adults as it is for adolescents. I might remind you that First Corinthians fifteen thirty three was written to those who were grown-ups. Now, adults may not be quite as likely to get involved in delinquent behavior and to go along with friends with something that they know is wrong, but they're certainly tempted to pick up bad attitudes and habits from the people that they associate with, and that's why Solomon is writing these words. So the same advice and the same warning goes for those of us that are grown-ups. Here's some extras that won't cost you anything Unless you ignore them. Don't buddy up with grumblers, with complainers, with belly achers, because they'll turn you sour. Don't associate with a gossip, because you'll encourage their malicious activity and you'll be tempted to engage in it yourself. Don't hang out with a gambler. You will catch his fever because gambling is contagious. Don't hang around with a godless person. I'm talking about social interaction here because it will erode your faith. Think about 1 Kings chapter 11, verses 1 and following. The Bible makes a very strong point of the fact that Solomon's wives turned his heart from God. There were associations in his life that turned an otherwise godly man in the wrong direction. Don't even keep company with someone who's always griping about their marriage. Because it will make you dissatisfied with your own husband or wife. Just remember this biblical principle. Bad company corrupts good morals. Or so said Paul by inspiration. One bad apple really can spoil the whole barrel. So Solomon is saying that the only logical response is, is separation. The principle of separation. He's saying we need to stay away from these elements, from these influences, and even from these people. A while back, the El Dorado News Time profiled a young man in prison whose name is Toby Cameron. And in the article, it talked about how that Toby was determined that he was not going to come back and spend any more time behind prison bars. And one of the ways that he was intending to accomplish that was that he had gone in very serious about his studies and had gotten his GED. And he said, I'm not going to come out unequipped. I'm going to have some of the tools that are necessary to, to have a good job, and I want to stay above this. And in the article, he also said that he had noticed over the course of the months and years that had passed during his time in prison that his fellow prisoners, the the tragic consequences of not making changes in their associations. He said, in my mind and in my experience, that is the number one problem that prisoners have with recidivism. He said, and I'm quoting now, they would get out of prison with the best of intentions, and they would stay straight for two or three months, And then they would get back with the same group of people and start doing the same things all over again and wind right back up here in prison. That brings us to the third principle, and that's the principle of destination. Look at verses 17 through 19. Surely in vain the net is spread in the sight of any bird, but they lie in wait for their for their own blood, they seek they lurk secretly for their own lives. So are the ways of everyone who is greedy for gain. It takes away the life Of its owners. Notice that last observation. It takes away the life of their owners. I'm not sure if Solomon was speaking literally or figuratively or both there. But either way, he's right. It will take away your life if you hang with the wrong people and you're engaged in the wrong activity. It will take away your life either by allowing you to die prematurely or by robbing you of the abundant life that Jesus wanted us to have. You see, when you choose your friends, Solomon is saying we need to consider the direction of their lives. Look down the road a ways and ask yourself, where are they headed? What is their ultimate destination? What kind of future do they have if they continue on the path that they're on right now? You see, a basic rule of life is where folks are headed now is where they'll end up later. Isn't that profound? Let me say that again. Where folks are headed now is where they'll end up later. Unless something forces people to change the direction of their lives, they're probably going to end up exactly where they're going at this moment. And that just makes some kind of sense, doesn't it? Solomon wants us to understand how practical this advice is. And then he tells us that we need to recognize that many folks are on a dead-end road. Don't you travel with them, my son, is what he's communicating. And nothing has really changed since Solomon wrote these words hundreds of years ago. You know, I think that some Christians under, are under the mistaken impression that we must be friends with anyone who wants to be friends with us. Now, out of my own wisdom, I would have no rebuttal to that, but I have read God's word and what God advises his people to do when we're confronted with that kind of situation. The Bible says that's not true. That we can be friends with anyone who wants to do right. And we certainly ought to be friends with anyone that we might can lead to the Lord. But the reality is that there are some people who are only interested in doing wrong. And there are some folks who are only leading us down the road to destruction if we associate with them. That's why Solomon said in Proverbs 12 in verse 26, A righteous man is cautious in his friendship, but the way of the wicked leads them astray. So remember, don't go along for the ride unless you know where that ride is going. And remember the bad news. Character is contagious. But also remember the good news corollary to that. And here it is. Character is contagious. And you may be thinking you can't have it both ways. Character is contagious. It's good news and bad news. Well, it's bad news in the sense that if we're hanging out with the wrong people, associating with the wrong influences, they can lead us astray. But the Bible also says as clearly and as powerfully that it's good news because guess what? Hanging out and associating with good people also has great power for good. That's the way God's people ought to be. He said, you're the salt of the earth and the light of the world, Matthew five thirteen through 16. So it's good news and it's bad news. Here's the Bible for that, by the way, Proverbs 13, verse 20. Solomon says, he who walks with a wise grows wise, but a companion of fools will suffer harm. How about that principle in the New Testament? I love the way it's stated in Hebrews 13, verse 7. The writer is there specifically talking to God's people about the power of association, but especially the power of influence that our leaders and especially our shepherds will have on God's people. And here's what he says. Remember your leaders who spoke the word of God to you. I like that, don't you? Don't ever forget that person who loved you enough to share the good news of the gospel with you. Always hold that person in high esteem and you will never regret it. But then specifically, this last observation that the writer makes, I think is germane to this subject. Consider the outcome of their ways and imitate their faith. Did you get that? Consider the outcome of their ways and imitate their faith. So, if we should consider the eventual destination of the wicked, the writer is saying that we can also consider the outcome of those who are godly. Look at those who are headed in the right direction. Watch those who have their act together spiritually. Emulate those who have good families, those who have good marriages, those who have good homes, those who are worthy of imitation. And associate with the people that you most want to be like. Decide to make godly friends. Associate with salt of the earth people and not scum of the earth people. That's what Solomon is telling us. And always remember that there is such a thing as positive peer pressure. The New Testament, by the way, calls it sweet fellowship. If you read Hebrews chapter 10, 24, and 25, there the writer really emphasizes and accentuates the power of association. And even as we gather here in our assemblies, not only is there common fellowship and support and encouragement, but even before that day comes, the writer says we can encourage and provoke one another into good works. Now, not everybody that you meet even in church is going to be a good influence. You heard me right. Not everybody that you meet even in church will necessarily be a good influence. But I'll tell you what, I'd rather take my chances with Christian folks than with the nightclub crowd. One other principle I want to share with you before we're through. If you go back to the Old Testament, I believe that you'll see the very things we've been talking about this morning emphasized and illustrated in the lives of four men by the names of Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Against overwhelming odds, these men stayed with God's plan. They did only God's will. In fact, they were imprisoned because of their faith in God and because they would not relent. I believe that the key to their spiritual success is found in the very first chapter of Daniel, verse 8. And here it is. And Daniel purposed in his heart that he would not defile himself. Here's a man who had a game plan. He knew going in that he wasn't going to do anything that would violate God's will for his life. And that kind of bravery is contagious. During the Civil War, at the Battle of Bull Run, The Confederates panicked, and they were fleeing in a headlong retreat. But then someone shouted, There stands Jackson, like a stone wall. And that courage, his courage, gave them fortitude. The soldiers regrouped, and they stood their ground. And he was forevermore after that known as Stonewall Jackson. Please remember the four principles from Proverbs that we've looked at this morning. That's the principle of association. Even good kids can get in bad trouble if they're hanging out with the wrong crowd. Principle number two is contagion. All people, both young and old, should realize that we are influenced by our friends and we become like those with whom we most frequently associate. Principle number three is separation. Solomon says the only way to remedy this situation is to stay away from the bad apples. You need to make sure that you get out and you stay out of that barrel before you're spoiled yourself. Number four is destination. When you choose your friend, Solomon says, consider the direction of their lives. Consider the way they're headed. And ask yourself, do I want to wind up in that ultimate destination with them? And folks, if you're looking down that road that they're traveling and you don't like the destination you see, Solomon says, do not associate with them. But above all, don't go along for the ride unless you know where it's going. This morning... Every time a person decides, makes a decision for Jesus Christ, they have to do so with all kinds of influences brought to bear. There will be people that will be absolutely ecstatic when they learn that you've become a New Testament Christian. You decided to repent of your past sins, confess Christ, and be baptized, and to begin this day walking in the footsteps of Jesus Christ. But there are likely be some people in your own sphere of its influence, and maybe even your own in, in your own family, who will not be excited about the fact that you became a New Testament Christian. I'm not trying to talk you out of it. I'm just saying here's the way it is. And even in New Testament times, there were those who, who lost their entire family because they made a decision for Jesus Christ. Tonight, we'll be talking about the meaning of life, and we'll be talking about the, the cost that we need to be willing to pay if we're going to follow Jesus. But your kingdom material, if you say no matter what, no matter how people may feel about it, I'm making a decision this morning for jesus christ i want to walk in his footsteps and i want to have all my sins washed away and if you've been doing that in your life if at some point you already made that decision and you were baptized into christ and you you began that christian walk and you know that you've not been walking that path consistently and you need to make that right we pray that you'll come while we stand and while we sing Dost thou count all things for Jesus but lost? Is thy heart bright with God? Is thy heart bright with God? Who washed in the crimson flood?